Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Wednesday morning, the 16th of October. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. The lights remained on late into the night as the European Brexit task force sat across the table from British negotiators hoping to reach an 11th hour agreement. The talks in Brussels surpassed the latest deadline of 11 o'clock last night and have resumed again this morning. What do we know? Well, all we know is that a deal has not been agreed yet. Michel Barnier, who set last night's deadline, says talks must conclude by 11 o'clock Central European time. That's in an hour from now. The European chief negotiator on Brexit will meet 27 European ambassadors at 2 o'clock this afternoon. By then, he will hope to be able to tell them that a legal text has been put in place for a Brexit withdrawal agreement. Mr Barnier could then be in a position to put that to the European leaders whose EU Council summit is scheduled to get underway tomorrow. Minister for Employment Affairs and Social Protection Regina Doherty is on the line with us. A very good morning to you, Minister and thanks for joining us. Uh, what more can you tell us about these ongoing negotiations? Pretty much not very much more than you've described it very articulately. Um, I think we're in um, a waiting zone. There are a number of a small number of people um, in the room at the moment. They were there as you said till very late last night. They started to get at half eight um, Central European time this morning. Um, I don't think there's anybody can doubt their bona fides to try and get this over the line, but I don't think I can tell you any more than you've already said. We have, in essence, um, the bones or a pathway to a deal. What's been worked on is the legal text um, that will replace what was the withdrawal agreement so as to be able to present it to the European leaders tomorrow. And words are really important, and I suppose that's why it's so difficult to put a legal text on what we're agreeing, because this will be unique. Um, in the context of international treaties. so Is it right to say that it has been agreed in principle, the mechanics, the legal text uh, is uh, where we're at now? I think the, the principle of what we want to do or what we want to establish, we all know what we want to do, but mm. to put a legal text on it that has never been done before is very difficult. Um, I'm often amazed that when we look at two countries and we call the European bloc a country and for negotiation terms for argument's sake, when you look at our negotiations with Canada, that was two countries that wanted to do a trade deal together. It still took seven years to dot every single legal I and every single legal T. Mm. Um, 
we're trying to do this in two weeks. It'll be nothing short of a miracle if it actually gets pulled off. But genuinely, the bonus is of everybody around the table, the 27, the United Kingdom, mm. uh, the task force, the negotiators, I think our bona fides are without doubt um, going in the right direction. But the big question about... But but the big question, Minister, about how to solve the Irish border question uh, has been agreed by both sides, has it? Well, I don't think the legality of that agreement no. has been written down. But in principle. So we, we know in principle what we want. We want... And, and the British agree, in principle. Well, in principle, what we want is to protect the all-island economy, to make sure that there's no border infrastructure, um, that the Good Friday Agreement is respected, as mm. it has always been, um, and that we have a free trade arrangement um, on the island of Ireland with you know with the European Union that's that's the principle of what we want putting that in a legal text is not as easy as it sounds no. and I think that's the difficulty obviously from the last couple of days so look I, I've no doubt if there is a way to do this they will find a way whether they will find it before 11 o'clock this morning um, is obviously the, you know, the clock is ticking now for this week's European summit but there's no reason we can't have a European summit next week if the, you know, the 11 o'clock deadline doesn't um, mm. pass this morning but we're all keeping fingers and toes crossed that they find a way to do it but we'll have to wait and hear what happens after 11 o'clock. In order to do it, in order uh, to uh, make sure that uh, the All-Ireland economy is protected and that we don't have customs posts on this island, Northern Ireland will be required to leave the European Union on a basis that is different than the rest of the United Kingdom. Is that correct, Minister? Um, I don't think that is correct. I think the Northern Ireland will leave the European Union um, exactly the same way as the rest of the United Kingdom will leave the European Union insofar as that they will not remain in the single market and they will not remain in the customs union. Um, And therein lies the problem so that we need to find a way where Northern Ireland can be sovereign within their union but also have the island of Ireland being able to remain um, within the practices of what currently engages in the 28 member states of the single market and the free trade agreement. This is this dual customs arrangement, is it, Minister? Effectively, in legal terms, I don't think so. Um, But how we manage this dual customs terms in practical Mm. reality, I think, is what's trying to be worked out today. It's very difficult to put Mm. something um, in practice that isn't in legal risk um, and vice versa, Michael. So mm. I think they're in line. Like, if we could could just put it all in the law and everybody could accept that um, there could be a dual customs union, well, then I think we probably would have had it done already. I think we've heard very clearly that the parties in the Northern Ireland um, are part of a sovereign United Kingdom and will remain so. And so to try and square that circle Mm. is where we're at at the moment. But that means that Northern Ireland would be leaving uh, the European Union on a basis different than the rest of the UK because in name it would be part of the UK Customs Union. uh, But in reality, uh, for day-to-day purposes, it, it would come under EU rules. Well, the rules are slightly different to the trade deal. So the rules have already been squared off insofar as that the regulatory alignment, the SPS um, or SPC and the photo checks, photosensory checks, and the regulations that we're going to administer, um, our food, our agriculture, um, and a lot of our industry has already been agreed. Mm. And so in essence, there is some divergence there anyway, but I think that divergence is certainly something that Northern Ireland have squared off on their own, and, and the politicians in Northern Ireland I'm speaking about now mm. um, have squared off and are okay with. But it would come under you. Uh, it would come under European uh, customs procedures. I think, in fairness, Michael, the the regulatory system that exists between 
in the United Kingdom as part of the European Union, it's going to take a while for them to change anyway. So even if, you know, even if they left with no deal, the regulatory systems would be the same for probably a length of time until some one or other of us changed them. Yes, but because so, Northern Ireland is uh, going to uh, apply uh, European customs procedures, uh, it will be leaving the European Union in a way that is different than the rest of the United Kingdom. Is it not true to say? Again, I, I don't think it is true to say, but that won't become very clear until the deal is agreed and announced later on, Michael. So the the, 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 the trick here, for want of a better word, mm. is that Northern Ireland are part, are sovereign part of the United Kingdom, and the United Kingdom is leaving the European Union. It's leaving the single market and it's leaving the customs union. What's agreed to, um, in practice during a transition period, um, is what's being negotiated at the moment and obviously if that's accepted then that practice will come into play during that transitionary mm. period and then we'll move on to negotiating a future trade deal. But in Newcastle um, they won't be uh, applying uh, European uh, customs uh, arrangements, uh, will they? I don't think that will become no. clear until this afternoon, Michael. Well, tell you something. I mean, if it's to be Brexit, uh, the United Kingdom is going to leave the customs union. Well, what's very clear is that as a sovereign state, the United Kingdom will be leaving the single market mm. and the customs union. Yeah, mm. that's very clear. But, and Nor- fairness, but Northern Ireland won't. Well, I don't know. I don't agree with that. I think it's been very, made very clear as well that Northern Ireland would be leaving as part of that sovereign union, the single market and the customs union. The mm. fact that we're attempting to run a dual customs system for a temporary period whilst we negotiate um, during the transition period uh, a mm. new trade deal is the sticking point at the moment. So... I genuinely hope and appreciate that they will be able to come to um, an agreement on how that will be managed. In, in but they, they, they'll, they'll deal with customs different than they will in Liverpool, won't they? They may not, Michael, no. I think, in fairness, I think you need to wait and see what mm. comes out this afternoon. And if it's not this afternoon, obviously, it will be as, as early as a possible date as it can be. But the one thing what, what we have done in the last number of weeks and where Leo and Boris were able to manage to find this pathway to the discussions that are ongoing in the last couple of days was to recognise that if we both kept all of our red lines, um, there was no way to go forward with the deal. And so I think everybody realised we all knew where we needed to land. Well, what, what about we the DUP's red lines? Uh, I mean, the suggestion is that Boris has shafted them, that he's thrown them under a bus. I don't. I, again, I don't think that's true. And to be very, very fair to the Prime Minister, he has done everything in his power in the last number of weeks to try and address everybody's concerns. Um, and that's probably why we are where we are today, that their willingness, their bona fides to try and do a deal that's in the best interests in what is a kind of a worst case scenario anyway, right? The fact that the United Kingdom are leaving, we don't believe is going mm. to be good in our interest anyway. But to try and find the best way to do this in the best interest of the All-Ireland economy, but also the United Kingdom's economy and the relationship mm. between the United Kingdom and the European Union. And that's why we are where we are. Because it, it, I think it, genuinely he had yeah. um, the best interests of his society and his economy at heart, whilst also recognising that the North of Ireland is an integral part of the Union, but it's also an integral part of the All-Ireland economy. And the peace treaty that we have come to hugely respect and rely on, mm. that is, you know, some 25 years old. So... Like, it hasn't been easy, and I think we need... Well, it hasn't been easy. It's over three years now. Uh, But if it transpires that Boris has sold the DUP out and it appears as though that may be the case or that it may be interpreted to be the case uh, and he wins out 
in terms of the arithmetic in the House of Commons and the DUP have to like it or, or, or lump it. Uh, and this results in economic unity, uh, a united economic Ireland. Uh, well, uh, will that be grounds for an election? In the United Kingdom or in, in this country? Well, no. So, like, I, I firmly believe that we should have an election when the country is ready for an election. I think um, my party leader, the Taoiseach, has been asking Fianna Fáil to set a date of May mm. 2020 for the last two years now. And for some reason, Fianna Fáil are not interested. Um, they want to tie the longevity of this all to Brexit. And I think that's a huge pity because mm. um, that's where we're at right now. So if the deal is done, well, then confidence in supply has run its course. And we're working from a week-to-week basis. And, and given I, that I it's run its course, and Finnegal is doing as well as it is in the polls, and uh, the Taoiseach refused twice yesterday to rule out holding an election in November, is it safe to assume that it's not off the table? Well, as I said to you, you see, what's very difficult, Michael, is that if we had a majority in the Parliament now, we'd be in control of it. Mm. As any government would be, and I don't just mean Finnegan. Um we're a minority government of 57 members in a 168-member parliament. Are, are you ruling going to the polls by calling a snap election? Well, I don't make that decision, first of all, right? But what I'm telling you is, is that from my perspective, and I can only talk about one little department that I like, actually, it's not a little department, it's enormous, but, I mean, I have about nine pieces of legislation that need to be initiated and passed between now and next March. That's not going to happen if there's a general election. Um, and so what we've been asking for consistently, and I do appreciate that the commentators do not believe us, but I don't know how else to make this as clear. We have written um, to, to the Fianna Fáil leader. I spent eight weeks around the table uh, with Fianna Fáil senior manager members last year to renegotiate a confidence and supply agreement. We have asked them to set a date of May 2020. I'm physically asking them again now on the airwaves to set a date of May 2020. If anybody is going to be the cause of an election, it certainly won't be Fine Gael. Okay, I mean, in fairness, we have acted in the last three years when we were presented with a Brexit outcome that nobody ever anticipated to do absolutely everything in the best interest of the All-Ireland economy, the Good Friday Agreement, and every single Irish citizen living on any part of this island has been our only interest in the last number of years, and that continues and remains to be the same. Okay, Minister, if uh, there is uh, the basis for a deal agreed uh, between uh, the task force and the UK negotiators uh, today, uh, it loves to go to the leaders who have to be ratified by uh, a number of parliaments, our own included, uh, yeah. as well as Westminster, uh, and we're far from home. Uh, when do you think uh, we may be able to draw a line under this? Again, I mean, that's the $60 million question, Mike, because we really don't know. So even even if we got the milestone of a deal today, which we all actually hope we will, right, um, it has to be brought to the Westminster Parliament on Saturday. Mm. And I, honest to God, genuinely couldn't tell you what the outcome of that would be because there are so many connotations. And as you say, well, it has to be passed by the European Parliament. It would have to be brought back mm. as we committed to to our own Parliament. Um, all of these things take weeks in some cases and if you want to hurry them you know they can take yeah. go much faster if you need to but given that this has been an exhausting process for the last number of years for everybody that's involved um, I don't see why you would rush the final process we then would move into a transition period where the first thing and a, another extension and if you were Boris Johnson would you calculate it in a way that you would feel that uh, if you didn't pass it through uh, the House of Parliament that uh, you may get the numbers uh, that you wouldn't need the support of the DUBP most specifically uh, in order to ratify this deal uh, uh, before the end of that extension period I, I think the respect that um, Boris has 
for the DUP has been evident over the last number of weeks. A 90-minute meeting the night before last, um, the conferences that they had, the party political conferences that they had, the DUP were extremely well supported uh, by the Conservative and Unionist Party. Uh, I think their relationship is as good as it has ever been. Um, with respect, I think there are some people who would enjoy if there was a, a you know a disparity in their relationship, but I don't see evidence of that. I see a strong relationship of those two parties, uh, a political alignment of both of them wanting the same mm. thing, which is what they feel is in the best interest of the, un- the uh, union. And you're not concerned about United bombs States. going off in Limerick, Minister, are you? Look, we're all concerned about a lot of things. That's why people have been working so hard to try and get this over the line. Um, I think that's why the Taoiseach took the unusual step of going to the United Kingdom last week and sitting down on his own in a room um, to try and find a pathway to get to where we are today. I think everybody understands the ramifications of this going wrong, and that's why we've all tried so hard to make sure that, yes, we prepare for a no-deal Brexit, but by Jove, if there's any way that we can get a deal that satisfies what it is that we want, um, then that's what we're going to work towards, and that's where we are today. All right. We'll leave it there for the moment and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, we're uh, a half hour away or so from uh, the next deadline uh, but of course that may be extended uh, beyond that and beyond that uh, again but we leave it there as I say for the moment and uh, our thanks uh, to the Minister for Employment Affairs and Social Protection, Regina Doherty TD. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, there's a kind of consensus in uh, the papers uh, today and certainly room for optimism on uh, the brink of a a deal is uh, the front page headline on uh, the Irish Daily Mirror as uh, the UK edged closer to agreeing on customs border in the Irish Sea. God, don't tell the DUP. Guarded optimism for Brexit breakthrough, says uh, the Irish Examiner, which also agrees a breakthrough Brexit political declaration creating an EU customs border in the Irish Sea was inching into sight last night. The Irish Independent Brexit deal close, but EU fears MPs will reject it. A compromise on the Irish backstop was within grasp late last night as both sides moved towards agreeing a protocol for a border in the Irish Sea. And the Irish Times prospects of a Brexit deal at summit improve. Government optimistic that draft can be presented at European Council meeting. And uh, it's uh, in line with the coverage in the other papers uh, with the Irish Times saying it's understood negotiations centre on a measure that is broadly similar on the previous backstop that only applied to Northern Ireland which saw a customs border in the Irish Sea. Well, we're close. How close we are, we don't know, uh, but uh, it certainly is 11th hour and Marie Kearns has been in Dundalk talking to people along the border about their thoughts on Brexit. I suppose it's an anxious time at the moment that you really don't know what's going to happen and you'd be hoping that there will be some sort of deal. There does seem to be a bit of hope, but I suppose, yeah... It's getting closer now to the deadline that you are kind of quite anxious, not knowing really what's going to happen. And what would your biggest fear be? Um, I suppose the border, the hard border, would probably be the biggest fear. It's hard to know at the moment, really. I suppose because we're so close to the border, you are kind of very conscious of how that will have an effect on us. Uh, deal or no deal. It'll come, I don't know what way, but I hope it's a deal for our sake because well, I, I'm a retired man now, but you know, have a lot of jobs lost if, it, if it's a no deal. I'd rather see a deal in that sense. Totally fed up. Absolutely fed up. Fed up. Listen to it on the news all the time. 
get on with it. Do what they have to do and get on with it. And do you mind what happens at this stage, whether there's a deal or a no deal? No, don't care. Three years. Three years it's, it's going on and they still haven't got any further. And do you think people are putting their lives on hold because of it? Yeah, to a certain extent, because we do, it's the unknown. We're like we're in limbo. We don't know where we're going to stand. What's going to happen? So there's talk there may be another extension if this new deal isn't agreed. So what are your thoughts about that? I'm looking at the face of you here. I do not know, but they have to sort something out. It's just, it really is getting ridiculous. It really is. It's getting, it's getting to be a joke. It really is a joke at this stage. Well, I have friends that are from across the border and just at the minute now we're laughing going, well, you need your passport to see each other we need to cross a couple of fields in the dark you know it's a bit up in the air at the minute and wondering if we like I even get my hair done in the north so even crossing the border just for that what's that going to entail now do you know so I don't know I suppose it'll just have to wait and see what's going to happen and there's concern that the price of food here could go up and drink could go up and then there's a worry about there could be shortage of medications and that sort of thing well I know myself from working and trying to be a nurse like if there is we have our own certain medications down here that they could have a lack of so I suppose it goes hand in hand if they're threatening one thing we can threaten another as well so I suppose just have to wait and see what what the lads come up with it sounds like more of the same it sounds the same for the last three or four weeks a bunch of guys getting together trying to do their homework and they're not coming up with something I think the root of this goes back to 1922 the settlement of this country the division of the country and on the British side the British want Brexit the main thing I, I, as far as I understand, and it's rarely talked about, is because it will close the door on immigration for Britain. People around Newry, people around the border, the Omeath area, farmers, people in different jobs, petrol station, they're all... It's not just imagination. They have it figured out. It's going to be, it's going to be tough. It's going to take us back. Supplies of butter and things like that, people are stocking up. Some of the suppliers are stocking up. That's not all imaginary, you know. Well, I'm hoping at this stage that they will get a deal, you know, because time is getting close. It's getting close to the deadline of the 31st. But I'm pretty confident now. I think that uh, all sides are putting their heads down and I think they will do it. I think they will get a deal. All right, some optimism there. Uh, Some not as optimistic as uh, that man. But our thanks to everybody who took time out uh, to speak with Marie in Dundalk yesterday on the prospects of a deal or no deal. And we'll hear more from Dundalk a little bit later on in the programme but it is Wednesday morning meaning uh, the local newspapers are in your shops and uh, they're with us Marie is with us uh, for that matter in studio with uh, the front pages and we've been hearing a a lot about carbon tax recently Marie and uh, how people should drive less and maybe use public transport but you wouldn't be inspired reading the Meath Chronicle this week You definitely wouldn't Michael if you ever had a bad experience with the bus service in Meath then you'll definitely identify with the special report in the Chronicle today which highlights the plight of commuters who've been left behind on the side of the road when buses are full or the buses simply don't turn up. In light of the criticism around the issues of capacity and supply on the NX route between Navin and Dublin, the paper's editor, Gavin Becton, spent some time at the bus stop in Johnstown on Monday morning to see firsthand the difficulties and it's well worth a read extension to a two-page spread inside the paper. Okay, we go to Dundalk. Uh, The Dundalk Democrat has a a, a very different different story it is uh, unfortunately a story about people getting out of their cars tell us more that's right it's a worrying story really Michael about car hijackings which makes the front page of the 
Dundalk Democrat Chairman of the Joint Policing Committee, Councillor Sean Kelly, has called on members of the public to be vigilant following a spate of car hijackings in recent weeks. His warning comes following an incident in which a car was hijacked in the car park of the Long Walk Shopping Centre. At 6.50pm last Friday evening, two men were involved in the incident and the car was later recovered by Gardaí who arrived at the scene. Tia Clark reports that this was the third such incident in Dundalk since September. Meanwhile, inside the paper on page 10, there's a very poignant interview with Kevin Smith about his brother Mark, who was reported missing in RD in July of this year. We'll stay in Dundalk. Uh, the Dundalk leader runs with a story about students graduating from DKI, DKIT, or uh, more accurately put, where they'll be graduating. That's right, it was a story we covered here in the show also, Michael. But the news from the Dundalk leader is that the authorities in the college have rolled back on the original plan to host the annual ceremony off campus. The paper reports that students at the college were celebrating after word emerged that the president of the college had backed down following outcry from the student body and also members of staff. DKIT President Michael Mulvey said having listened to the views of the students and their ardent and heartfelt wishes to have conferring 2019 on campus I'm pleased to say that the wishes are being acted upon and that conferring and associated events will take place on the campus this year. Now, the other paper in Dundalk is uh, the Argus and uh, their front page looks forward to a trial that is set to commence next week. That's right, Michael. Brady to stand trial for Adrian murder. That's the headline of the Dundalk Argus, which reports about the trial set to begin next week of Aaron Brady, who was charged with the murder of Detective Garda Adrian Donoghue more than six and a half years ago. Brady, 27, from New Road, Cross Midland County, Armagh, was last year charged with the murder of a member of Angarda Shiacona in the course of his duty at the Central Criminal Court last week just as Michael White scheduled Mr Brady's trial to begin on Monday next October 21st. Okay, to uh, the Drogheda Independent and uh, a case of uh, somebody being fined. That's right. It's an interesting story, Michael. It highlights the story of a local woman who has who was issued who has issued a warning to others who decide to leave bags of clothing beside full charity bins that they face an expensive donation charge of 150 euro to be exact. She's speaking from experience. She went to the clothes bank at the Denor Industrial Park close to John's shop, but when she got there the bin was full so she placed the clothes in a bag beside the bank for the collection when the bin was being emptied but the area has security cameras and she subsequently received a fine for littering in the post after her car registration was tracked. She said I think it would be good if the charities got the bins emptied on a more regular basis because people want to help them by donating. I just want to highlight if you leave a bag beside a full clothes bin you'll get fined. I thought I was doing a good deed but it cost me €150. Okay, I suppose it's a mistake you'll only make once. Thanks for that, Marie, and uh, thanks uh, for bringing us uh, all of uh, those stories for that matter. People might want to make comment on what they've been hearing. Uh, You'll be taking calls and coming back to us uh, with some of those comments uh, in the next few minutes. If uh, people do want to comment on the stories on uh, the front pages uh, today or something else they've been hearing, or if there's an issue that you'd like to raise with us for that matter, you can ring Marie, as I say now. Our telephone number is 1850 715 958. 
Michael Reed on LMFM. Children are selling drugs, all sorts of drugs uh, for that matter. The average age of a child who sells drugs who's under the age of 18, that is, is 13. This is according to the Blanchardstown Local Drug and Alcohol Task Force. Uh, that average age of 13 is younger than the year previous uh, when it was 14. The youngest child selling drugs uh, that uh, this task force discovered was aged just eight uh, compared to 10 years of age uh, the year previous. Let's talk about uh, this with John Curran, who's a Fianna Fáil TD for Dublin Midwest and his party's uh, spokesperson uh, for National Drug Policy. Good morning to you and uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, you're, Good morning. You're, uh, to introduce legislation uh, which would make it as an offence uh, to buy drugs from a child and also to cause a child to be in possession of drugs. That's right, Michael. But uh, first of all, I just want to go back to your introduction where you referred specifically to the data that was available from Blanchardstown uh, Drugs and Alcohol sure. Task Force. Mm. And I just want to expand a little to say that my evidence, listening to colleagues who are members of uh, Drug and Alcohol Task Forces right around the country, colleagues from all parties who are members maybe of joint policing committees, which I am myself, and policing fora, they all indicate that there has been a significant reduction in the age of young children who are engaged in either directly selling or distributing and delivering the drugs. So it isn't just a Blanchardstown issue. It's right around the country, predominantly in urban areas. And young children, the age in Blanchardstown was shocking, where it was just uh, eight for one of the youngest children involved. So I was a former drugs minister a decade ago, and while, while young people did involve themselves in selling and distributing Mm. drugs, nothing to the scale that we're seeing today. And it is in that context that I'm introducing legislation. And I suppose it's a two-pronged approach. It'll become an offence to purchase drugs from a person, from a child, in other words, somebody who's under the age of 18. So the responsibility will be on the purchaser. Um, And it'll also be, secondly, an offence to cause that child or to use that child to be in possession of drugs either to sell or supply. Uh, Oftentimes they're not actually selling, they're merely distributing Mm. or delivering. Uh, And the reason that they're being used, they're being exploited in in this way, I take it, is uh, that it's next to impossible to prosecute a child under 18 and certainly the sanction uh, is nowhere near what an adult uh, would have to endure. That's that's really the point. You've hit the nail on the head, Michael. Uh, The children are being exploited, they're being preyed upon, Um, by those who are getting them to distribute. Uh, If they're caught, uh, you're right, the the, I suppose the sentences are not custodial. They might engage with uh, youth services and so forth, but significantly less than an adult. Uh, But the adults are preying on them. And that's why we're introducing it to be an offence to use and to prey on young children, to make them deliver, to make them distribute. But also that uh, those who might purchase and who might feel, well, it's only a small quantity of drugs, it's only going to be Mm. for personal use. If I'm caught, it's a fairly minor issue, it's a misdemeanor. It's a new offence. Purchasing from a minor will now be a much more significant offence, and people need to be aware of that. Will purchasing from a minor be a significant offence Uh, if uh, the person found guilty, is also a minor? Uh, Yes, it will. Um, The detail of that, and that will come up for discussion in the DAW, but the intention is yes. Uh, Now, obviously, there is a range of sentences available, but it will be uh, an offence for a minor to buy from a minor, absolutely. 
Um, obviously, there will be discretion uh, for a judge in what uh, sentence might be imposed, but it is an offence for anybody to buy from a minor. And bear in mind mm. um, that some of these minors are as young as eight years of age who are doing the distributing, uh, the distribution of these drugs. Uh, and who, I'm sorry, who is it do you think that is buying drugs from eight-year-olds or ten-year-olds? Uh, is it adults uh, who go up to children like that and buy drugs from them? It mightn't always be going up to them. It might be mm. uh, at this stage, I suppose, if you look at what's going on on the ground, it's often known areas where drugs are sort of available. And it might be the young person who's de- delivering, delivering the drug them. rather yeah. than actually mm-hmm. making the deal. Mm. Um, certainly, you see children in some of our housing estates on certain street corners. You seen footage in the past of CCTV where young people seem to be delivering and selling drugs. Mm. So it's quite widespread. And as I say, while the survey you referred to was specifically Blanchardstown, Mm. the information I have from colleagues right across the country, colleagues who are involved with local and regional drug and alcohol task forces, colleagues who are involved with joint policing committees and policing force of all parties Mm. around the country have clearly identified a reduction in the age of those who are getting caught up. And the idea of Mm. the legislation is to try and protect those young and vulnerable children, to give them a life away from criminality, because the activities they're engaged in are criminal activities, to try and give them a normal life, to try and keep them involved Mm. in education, to give them a life involved with youth activities such as sports and so forth. And hopefully, as they get a little bit older, that they do not get caught up in this life of crime around drugs and drug distribution. So they are literally what you'd call drug runners, uh, delivery people uh, as such. Uh, If uh, they're delivering the drugs, does that mean that you've bought the drugs from them uh, and does the offence apply? Whether the offence applies, whether you bought or you received. In other words... Um, you don't have to pay. You don't have to pay cash. Cash could have been paid to a third party. Uh, in many cases, the, the young person is delivering the drugs, getting the money, and returning to base with mm. the, the cost of that that sale. Um, they're delivery people. They're being preyed upon. They're being exploited, and it's becoming widespread. And as they get a little bit older, they become more involved in that activity. Um, they're being sucked into a life of crime. And that's why it's so important to try and mind them at a young age, to give them an opportunity to get away from this and not have them involved. And we believe that mm. if the sanctions on those who are preying upon them are significant and to the wider community uh, who might inc- you know, occasionally involve themselves in recreational or casual drug use, they need to realise that that casual drug use, that occasional drug use is uh, supporting criminality, gangland mm, crime, mm. and is leading to a life, you know, for these young people where they're being exploited. Do you think, though, that it, it would effectively make much difference? Because you would have to assume that if somebody is found guilty to have bought drugs from a minor, that it would be a second offence, uh, that they'd have already been caught for having drugs in their possession. Yes, the difference is the offence, the second offence, uh, buying drugs from a minor, it will be much more significant mm. than drug, being in possession of drugs. That's the point. That you know, there is no way with one piece of legislation that we will you know uh, eradicate. Well, and I understand, but I'm just wondering if it would have m- much impact. Uh, effectively, would it make? much difference or any difference for that matter because people are buying drugs all of the time and they're not never caught well no i disagree with you uh, there are 17 or 18000 cases going through the courts annually uh, in terms of drug possession uh, in terms of drug offenses three quarters of those would be in relation to drug possession so people are being caught and you know it's untrue and it's often a myth 
Um, and in terms of larger drug seizures, you're reading about them the whole time. So, but I suppose it is fair to say that a significant number are not being caught. But what this piece of legislation is aimed at specifically is protecting the young people. And mm. those who want to buy drugs, those who want to engage in this, need to be aware that if you're caught buying from a minor, receiving from a minor, that you will face a much more severe sanction. And the sanctions, depending on whether it's a summary conviction or an indictment, uh, we're proposing that the maximum term could be up to 10 years. Okay, Uh, and indeed uh, there would also be that uh, offence of having a a minor uh, make a delivery for you. Absolutely, yes. Okay. We live there, and thank you indeed for joining us here on the programme this morning. John Curran, Fianna Fáil TD for Dublin Midwest, is his party spokesperson for National Drugs Policy. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns is back with some of the calls and text messages uh, that have been coming to us uh, this morning. What have you got there, Marie? Well, Michael, Tom was in touch and Tom says, is what was that, Michael? I dropped my pen, I beg your pardon. Tom is wondering, is there an end in sight? Well, we all hope so. He's hoping so too. He's saying everyone is praying for this deal, not just because it's the best outcome Mm. for everyone, but because we are sick listening to it. This government has been getting away with too much because Brexit is dominating the airwaves and the print media. They escaped virtually Scott free over the budget because this is taking up everybody's time. It needs to be dealt with, says Tom. All right. Well, the end is in sight uh, before we start on the next phase. (laughs) That's it, Michael. You don't look too optimistic Mm. there. Maybe, uh, Peter from Drada says, maybe Maybe Boris Johnson is not turning his back on the DUP, as you suggested, Michael. Maybe he's finally realising that the DUP doesn't speak for the majority in the North. The majority voted against leaving the EU. And if the DUP had their way, they would hang everybody out to dry. They couldn't care less about how a hard border could impact on our lives. They shouldn't have held the UK over a barrel on the backstop. And maybe this is what's coming back to haunt them. Okay, right. Well, uh, that's a <laughs> funny interpretation of it all. The way. <laughs> Everyone yeah. has mm, their interpretations, mm, Michael, mm. as I found out in Dundalk when I was there yesterday. Mm-hmm. John from Navin says, uh, Brexit again today, Michael. We'll be very, very lonely when it's settled, We'll have nothing to talk about then, only Christmas, says John. God, that's the most optimistic comment I've heard in a very long time. I don't think we'll be finished talking about Brexit by Christmas. I don't think whatever Mm. is decided this afternoon will certainly not be the end of it, Michael. No. Declan says... It will be interesting to hear what this deal is going to be, Michael. Our hopes have been raised many times before only to be dashed. And the point he wants to make also is that the UK, we have to remember, agreed to the backstop. So what is the Irish government going to be conceding on now in this deal? Yeah, well, you see, the thing is, is that uh, it was agreed uh, by uh, the British government, uh, but it wasn't agreed by the British Parliament. uh, And uh, today we're hoping uh, that a deal will be struck uh, with the European negotiators and the British government. 
Uh, that then will go to the leaders, then it'll go to the British Parliament on Saturday, the special meeting of the House of Commons. Uh, it may be accepted, it may be rejected, it may result in a general election, it'll have to be ratified by other parliaments, including the European Parliament, and so on, before it becomes a deal. If it is a deal, uh, well then they'll start negotiating how to trade, and that will take two years. <laughs> <laughs> is that your is that what you're placing your bets on now Michael uh, on which that'll be another two years well no that's the time Tops. that they've allowed after the withdrawal oh, agreement yes, that's to right. agree the yes. trade agreement yeah. okay mm-hmm. so um, another listener says and this comes in from Seamus in Dundalk and Seamus says Michael even if they reach a deal today we still have to accept that there are going to be implications from a Brexit that there will be implications for us here Mm. in Ireland. And we haven't really thought about that because all the focus has been on a no deal, Mm. if you get them. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, if they do a deal, that means there's Brexit. It's a negotiated withdrawal rather than a disorderly withdrawal. Uh, And I suppose it's uh, the best of the worst options. And the hope is uh, that there will be a deal. You were in Dundalk, uh, as we heard a little bit earlier on yesterday, speaking to people about their thoughts on Brexit. And we'll hear some more of what people have to say to you now. Brexit. I'm sick listening to it. I wish you'd talk about something else. I've absolutely no idea. I'm astray in the head with it all. Are you worried about it? Very, yes, of course. Would you be worried that there could be a hard border? I would, yes, be very concerned about that because I live the other side of the border in Castleblaney. So there would be a worry there? It would be a very big inconvenience, yeah, and I'd be very worried about the trouble starting up again. Well, I think that what's happening is they're messing around with us from England and it's because Johnson likes to kind of make a fool of the people he's meeting and there's no concern at all for the people up in the north or the people just south of the border. So I think, I think it's like it's so childish. And there's talk that there's a possible deal on the table. What do you think about that? They had the DUP were in again yesterday. The DUP don't know how to say yes and Johnson doesn't give a damn about that. So he... He could delay his thing for a month and maybe deal, but there's no real substance in it. I mean, I'm at the stage where I'm very interested in it originally. I couldn't give a damn now because we don't know what they're going to do. My wife is, is very concerned about it. My son lives in England and works there. And there is this, this whole situation of get a paper, open the page, oh, they're at it, or turn it on, and then you say, oh, I can't watch this, you know, so... Really, to be perfectly honest, I think the best way to handle ourselves as Irish people is to just be ignorant until they tell us what the feck has happened. You know, it's like saying, we will, we won't, we will, we won't. And we're watching it all the time. And there's no real serious intent, certainly on the part of the DUP or the Conservative. I'm really just fed up. I've stopped following it months ago. I couldn't be bothered anymore about it. And are you worried? You live in Dundalk, do you? Yeah, I live in town and i just kind of given up, really. I don't look at the news anymore because all it is is Brexit, Brexit, Brexit. So I couldn't be bothered listening to it anymore. I think a deal will be rich, maybe before the end of the month. Uh, it's a good thing for them to have Brexit because they voted for it. 
That's it. And would you worry about the impact here in Ireland? I don't think it will be much. Initially, there will be an impact. After a while, the whole thing will die down. Well, I think like most people, I'm probably fed up reading about it, hearing about it. Um, the fact is, nobody still knows what's going to happen. But, you know, the world's not going to end. Everybody's still going to have to make deals, even if they don't arrive at an agreement on the 30th or the 31st of October. So, look, we've probably been through worse. Should we just get on with it, won't we? Do you think that people are putting their lives on hold, waiting to see what's going to emerge? Maybe not so much in Ireland. I know I have family in England and um, they possibly are. But at the minute, it's having a knock-on effect on other things. I know uh, the chemists, even in Dundalk, are finding it hard to get some of the prescription tablets for people who need them and in England it's been like that since December. You know it's having an effect in in other ways that you might notice so we just have to wait and see what happens. I can remember you know going up and down to Newry or going to Belfast and the checkpoints and I would hate something like that and I, I really don't think that they will allow it to be as difficult. Obviously there has to be customs control in place so I don't think it will go back to that and I really hope it doesn't. Some of uh, the concerns of uh, people in Dundalk about uh, Brexit, whether there is a, a deal or no deal. Some people obviously more concerned than others it would seem. That's right. Uh, so many people, mm-hmm. Michael, just mm-hmm. completely sick of it as you heard mm. there. Others, when I mentioned it, were like, no, I don't even want to talk about oh, it. Oh really, yeah. <laughs> yes, okay, just moved yeah. on. Mm. So um, we'll see what happens. Mm. Can I move away from that for the moment? A couple no, of comments. Do. <laughs> um, uh, we had a listener who was in touch just to say, listening to your interview with Regina Doherty, uh, regarding an election, Michael, I really don't think Fianna Fáil have it in them to pull out of their arrangement with Fine Gael and to force a snap general election. Mm. Well, they may not have to force one. Uh, Fine Gael could uh, decide on its own bat to go to the polls. Even though they're all saying, oh no, May 2020. Well, some of them are. <laughs> Deirdre was in touch regarding the, the buses in Meath and she says there are not enough buses that people have been complaining for ages over it, that so many people are left on the side of the road when buses are full. Paul phoned in and Paul is angry with the finance minister because he feels that he didn't find money for the needy and services in this country in his budget, but he has money to give policy politicians a huge wage increase that they all got increases recently and that it was okay for that but not to look after those that are vulnerable. So we'd finish on that one, Michael. Okay, thanks for that, Marie. And uh, thanks uh, to everybody who has been in touch with us uh, today. If you'd like to add to what's been said, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 1850 715 958. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, as uh, we have surpassed uh, the latest uh, deadline, there's uh, no sign of white smoke, no sign of any smoke at uh, this stage, it would seem, uh, from Brussels. Uh, let's go to our political correspondent, Sean Defoe. A very good morning to you, Sean, and uh, thanks for joining us. I suppose everybody's hoping for positive news uh, from Brussels uh, today. Yeah, that's right. There was certainly a lot of positive noises made yesterday evening that the deal could get done. A little bit more dampened down this morning, particularly with the, the DUP being a little more cautious than perhaps 
some people had expected. But there is still hope that the deal can get done today and that that would then be put to EU leaders tomorrow, potentially all sorted by the weekend. But a huge amount of hurdles to jump between now and then. All right. And uh, if that is uh, the case, uh, there is the temptation to go uh, to the people here uh, on foot of a very positive poll in the Irish Times yesterday. The Taoiseach was asked about this a couple of times yesterday uh, and twice uh, he failed to rule out uh, a November election. Yeah, the Taoiseach, it was put to him in a few different questions and he said that his, his view is still the view that he had last summer, which was that the election should be in May of 2020. But he was asked directly twice, would he rule out a, a poll before Christmas and again twice refused to actually answer the question and rule it out. And there's a lot of people ruminating and thinking around Leinster House that maybe he will, that if there is a Brexit deal sorted this week or even next week, that that might be strike while the iron is hot. We saw saw his approval rating rise quite considerably mm. in the Irish Times poll during the week. It was the first time it had been up in uh, in quite a while. It was um, uh, not a huge jump for Nigel, but a huge jump for the Taoiseach himself and the way that the government is handling this. Mm. I mean, He's getting into Bertie Ahern territory. Is he 51%? Yeah, 51%. Well, that was the talk uh, shortly after. It was the legal leap, as it was called, after he initially took over and he was in Bertie Ahern territory. That's dipped pretty steadily in all the polls since the, the kind of gloss has come off. And uh, that was the worry within Fine Gael. But particularly, I mean, this poll was done, it was commissioned, I expect, with Budget Week in mind, but ended up being the day started uh, polling the day after he confronted Boris Johnson. They had their meeting last week. So quite a significant mm. bump for him. And a lot of people thinking now he might use that, if there is a deal, to go to the people in November. Uh, and uh, indeed, great satisfaction with how the government has been dealing with Brexit. Uh, 60% satisfied. Satisfied, uh, 42% satisfied in the government overall. That's up 11%, which is a, a pretty significant jump for them as well. So the government, I mean, there's a lot of knocks you can make mm. in the government in the last year. I think the majority of people in this poll have done a pretty good job on Brexit. Leo Varadkar and Simon Coveney have been pretty solid on it, and that's bearing out. Uh, this week as well, where they seem to have got a deal. The Taoiseach's intervention seems to have been something that made a big difference that actually got things moving last week and has led us to where we are. So while there's still quite a lot of water to cross to get that over the line, I think if there is a, a deal, it's a rare bit of good news for a government that's been in power for almost 10 years. It doesn't come around all that often and the temptation must be very real to go to the polls in November. All right, but uh, I take it it's a case of wait and see in that uh, had uh, an election been held this week, it may have been a landslide for the government as a result of Brexit. That may change over the coming days uh, because this is far from over. Even if a deal is agreed today, it has to pass uh, through many parliaments, uh, including uh, the House of Commons. Uh, That could result in a general election uh, if it's uh, defeated and there's still some way to go and people uh, could uh, lose patience with all of this over a period of time and the government must also reflect on its overall rating uh, because it's pretty close to Fianna Fáil in general terms, isn't it? 
Yeah, the state of the parties, Fine Gael, 29%, Fianna Fáil, 25% in this poll. I mean, depending on the you know the different polls, they're in around the same. Some of them have them, them neck and neck. Brexit, you have to wonder, is it a vote-getter? I would say possibly not, and maybe it gives you a boost in the first week of the campaign. But you have to remember the way these campaigns tend to unfold. Obviously, housing and health is going to be mm. something that the government's going to get an absolute battering on whenever the next election is the I think that they can possibly weather that, that they can get through that and that they want to make the economy a big focus of the next election. Probably the economy and Brexit would be two of the ones they want to, to really lead out on. They took the economy from absolutely nowhere when they took over in 2011 to where it is now in pretty decent health. So you wonder over the course of a campaign, does that you know benefit them mm. or would it actually hurt them? It's hard to tell. Um, and these campaigns take a bit of a life on their own. So I think if the teacher was thinking of, of running a campaign solely based on Brexit after getting a deal, it would probably find pretty short shrift in the, the campaign as a whole. Do you think uh, Fianna Fáil would like the idea of a campaign now, given that it can argue that it facilitated the government in how it dealt with the Brexit negotiations? And quite often Fianna Fáil finds itself in a far better position after an election than it did in opinion polls. Yeah, Fianna Fáil typically underrated in the polls and they usually perform a bit better than they are polling and even in the, the weeks in the run-ups. I mean, the last election was a prime example of that. No one expected them to do as well as they actually did. A lot of people in Fianna Fáil are not too afraid of an election. They're pretty happy whenever it comes. Uh, they are. The plan certainly has been to let even more sheen come off the overacker and the government go through a, a potential winter of discontent in the health service and then they have no intention of lasting until May next year but maybe pulling the plug sometime around March or April uh, and that they they feel pretty confident at that stage they would be in a position to win the election. I think they would absolutely attack Leo Varadkar if he did pull it down before Christmas. Michael Martin has already said that it would be a stroke. They'd argue that after we provided stability to this government for three years when we really didn't have to that suddenly it's Fine Gael who are doing it all in the name of electioneering. I mean it's a very easy point of attack. So I think Michael Martin would be pretty happy you know, they're ready to go to the polls. If it does end up being in November, he's not going to be afraid of it. And every party in Leinster House is prepared as the posters printed, even more so this week. They're all stepping up preparations. But I think his idea is probably still go through the winter and do it in March or April of next year and that probably maximises but there's certainly not an intention anywhere on the Fianna Fáil side that they'd be the ones putting it down. Uh, And I suppose uh, the government uh, will be happy that uh, they didn't get the fallout that they might have expected uh, had there not been uh, the Brexit negotiations overshadowing the announcement of uh, the budget for next year. Yeah, the budget was a weird one in many ways in that the Brexit negotiations kind of provided the government with a little bit of cover to do what they did, which was not a whole lot. And I think if there was any other uh, situation where Brexit wasn't a factor, you take that out, then many people would be very disappointed with last week's budget and would expect a lot more to go back into their pocket or to go into investment. But because people understand the scale of it and people are pretty okay with the government's position, as borne out in the poll that we talked about at the Irish Times, Mm. that's... They uh, they accept that you know most people say yeah okay it's not great it's not a huge amount in there but we're in extremely difficult circumstances and God knows what will happen with Brexit now that becomes a lot more difficult next year it becomes a lot more difficult if you remove it but for now it provided with them with the political cover and it also in a very weird way after a year of you know fiscal irresponsibility from the government in terms of the National Children's Hospital and the broadband plan it's also given them a chance to reclaim this idea that they are the party of of good economic management in that they didn't go and splurge in a pre 
pre-election budget and instead they were very careful and very prudent with the economy and that we're the ones you should trust to go and manage it will be something that they argue rather than maybe the, the memories that people have of the overspends on the hospital or the broadband plan. All right, and then there's the issue of uh, carbon taxes. Is a, a, an effort uh, to reduce our uh, carbon emissions uh, to improve on climate change and to save uh, the planet or is it a, a revenue raising measure? And uh, you mentioned the Irish Times poll, uh, which was very favourable for the government yesterday. The follow-up to that today is on climate change, which the paper is reporting to be the most serious issue for the majority of voters, so long as they don't have to pay for it, it seems. Yeah, this has always been the interesting point about climate change and the people today. Oh, yeah, it's very, very important until it hits your pocket. And you wonder how much that is going to feed into the, the next election. Measures like the carbon tax, other measures that are going to affect people financially, may not gain as much traction with the electorate. And that's going to be very interesting, I think, to see how the Green Party do, because a lot of people, I reckon, who them votes in the local and Europeans, where there's not a huge amount of influence, being a TD is very different to being a TD that is potentially going to be in government and have their policies uh, impacted is also very different. I think the one of the general moves that has been out there since the budget is that people aren't too upset about the carbon tax in a lot of areas, but they wanted to come with more investment. There needs to be carrot with stick. If you are going to price people out of their cars and price people out of the way that they heat their homes, you have to provide alternative ways of doing that, be that through public transport, be that through better grants for insulating your home, retrofitting, whatever it is. And that wasn't really in the budget. That there was small bits, piecemeal, not a huge amount of investment there. So any party who is, and they're all, of course, trying to steal mm. the Green Party's clothes, but any party who's putting forward a credible climate plan is going to have to balance that and going to say, yeah, you know what, we are going to increase carbon taxes over the next few years, here's the plan for doing it, here's where it's going to get very expensive, and here's how we're also going to help you change your lifestyle, because there needs to be a bit of both. Okay, uh, another bad poll for Sinn Féin, uh, down another two points, uh, but down ten, I think, over uh, the course of a year, is it, Sean? Yeah, well, it depends on which, which polls that you look at. Some of them had Sinn Féin riding incredibly high, heading into the local elections up near 20%. I can't remember the company that did it, the one that does it for the business post, mm-hmm. um, had them up near 20%, and uh, that obviously collapsed during the local elections. A little bit more of a, a bounce back afterwards in the following month. Uh, in this particular poll, for the first time, uh, it's of the eye, has them at 14% down to, which is round about... I mean, where they were uh, talking in around the, the end of the last election. So not a huge amount of progress from the Mary Lou era um, from the Jerry Adams era, which is obviously going to be a big worry for Sinn Féin. I think more worrying for them is the fact that the last elections, the local Europeans really caught the party on the hop. They weren't expecting the backlash that they got. Now they have to try and show up positions. It's a bit like losing a warm-up game before the World Cup. You wonder, can you, you do you have now the time to actually write the ship? But certainly this poll would suggest that they haven't. And I think what is going to be particularly interesting to watch for from Sinn Féin's point of view is if our election also coincides with an election in the UK mm. and by extension Northern Ireland, because of course you have the Sinn Féin instalment where which hasn't sat for more than three years, so they're they're not working up there. And then you have Westminster where they don't take their seats, so there are two things that are going to be used as a stick to beat them in the Republic as they try and campaign on uh, on both islands and in both elections uh, or on the one island, sorry, both jurisdictions uh, in the one election, which is, is going to be 
quite a difficult one for Sinn Féin and has already, I think, seen some residual support for them if it could, could dip even further. And it, it seems very, very likely that we're looking at an election in the UK uh, at this stage, doesn't it? Uh, and if not, uh, it'll be uh, to Boris Johnson's credit for managing to sell the DUP out and uh, to get this deal uh, across the line. Yeah, well, I think there has to be a general election in the UK at some point in the next little while. The timing of that is going to be interesting because either he gets a deal this week or in the next two weeks and, and gets that over the line and goes into an election having delivered Brexit or there is an extension and he has to go back to the people and say, look, I tried, but I couldn't quite get it done. You mm. need to vote me in with more of a majority because he has a working majority of minus 41, I think it is. It's just not practical to keep a parliament up where, I mean, he won mm. a vote yesterday and everyone tuned into it as the first vote he had won. Mm. And, you know, an occasion that the government actually wins a vote, which is obviously completely not the way it should be in any functioning parliament. So there is going to be an election in the UK. The matter of timing is still, is still up in the air because Labour and the Lib Dems just don't trust them. They don't trust Boris Johnson mm. to the power in the UK, of course, being that the Prime Minister can announce an election date and then change it if he wants to. So that's why they haven't trusted him so far because they don't think Boris Johnson would stick to the date that he's announced and then their own preparations would be all up in the air. But it's coming in the next couple of months, more than likely before Christmas. And the big question over here is, will, will we be following them? All right. Uh, and uh, I suppose the, the big question that the DUP is asking at this moment in time, is if it will be expected of Northern Ireland to to leave the European Union on a basis that is different than the rest of the United Kingdom. And I think it's next to it impossible to think of how else it can be done. Uh, Yeah, it's going to be... um, It's a really tricky one to see how he gets the DUP on side. Certainly the the talk or the, the soundings out of Arlene Foster last night not entirely rubbishing the deal, but also saying, you know, there's gaps here. There's, there's stuff we need to work on. And it's a very difficult one for them because they have, uh, once again, reopposed themselves to a border down the Irish Sea. And there's this weird uh, split in the base of the DUP where there's one that you look at the kind of wealthy farmers and businessmen who are there who really want a deal or want something to be done so that they're not entirely screwed by Brexit. And then you've also got the more ideological part of the party, which is the real unionist base that doesn't want any sort of separation from the UK and would view a border down the Irish Sea as potentially one big step towards the United Ireland and really severing that link with the UK. So for the DUP to back down on that for whatever amount of money, because there's a lot of suggestions this morning that there'd be a a pile of money thrown at Northern Ireland Mm. at the DUP, that'd be a huge step. I mean, that's a big change, and that's a lot of your base that you're alienating. So I think there has to be some sort of uh, fiddle or, or... way within this deal to get them on side. We don't know what it is yet and we don't know the shape of it. It's what's undermined Theresa May's deals in the past and it does have the potential to to finish Boris Johnson's as well if it does get over the line. All right, we'll leave it there for the moment, Sean. Thank you indeed for joining us as always. Our political correspondent, Sean Defoe. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, as you've been hearing, uh, Dundalk Town Hall and Meath County Council's offices in Navan will light up a yellow in solidarity uh, with uh, the uh, protest uh, that is uh, taking place uh, tonight against a no-deal Brexit. Uh, it's been organised by Border Communities Against Brexit and uh, Damien McGennity, spokesperson for the group, is on the line with us. And a very good morning to you, Damien, and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. You're asking uh, people to come out to their local border crossing at 8 o'clock this evening? Yes, we are. Um, We are uh, doing that principally because we want um, London, Dublin and Europe to see that we, the people that live in these border communities, are concerned at a no-deal Brexit and a havoc that that would have on our life. 
Uh, our group has been, from the very beginning, has been like a pressure group, a public lobby group. And it's about keeping pressure up on politicians to make sure that we get this deal across the line. Um, and we're delighted at the support that we've got from councils across Ireland who are going to light up their, their buildings tonight in solidarity with VCAB and stand with people and border communities. Will any news from Brussels today make any difference to you at this stage? Um, I, I know, no, it won't, because yeah. you see, this, these process, we've been here before um, at various times in, in, in these Brexit processes. Theresa May's deal, for example. Yes, yeah. correct, yeah. when she went to Brussels and Arlene Foster forced her to come back home and there was a deal then and a few days later and then famously that deal was reneged on by David Davis. Mm. So we are wary of, of, of deals until it actually is copper fastened. So what we're um, talking about today is possibly the basis for a deal. Are you optimistic that there will be the basis for a deal? I'm, I'm sitting here right now, I am 50-50. I have spoke to someone in Brussels this morning. Um, our latest understanding is while there has been a broad deal on what it may look like, it's with the lawyers now and with people who specialise in customs and in duties to see how it would work out in practical terms. Mm. Um, also, there are problems in Downing Street. Um, Boris Johnson is having difficulty with some members of his own party selling this deal. The DUP were in late last night and I believe they're looking a rather large cheque. Um, that in itself is causing difficulty with some members of the Tory party, given that they have quite high levels of poverty in certain parts of their own constituency. Um, and it and might then, take a little bit of uh, the gloss off uh, the government's performance here uh, in respect of uh, the Brexit negotiations, because that cheque uh, it's being reported uh, will be written by the British government, uh, by Europe and by the Irish government. Well, it'll be interesting to see how that works out. Um, certainly like, w- areas need investment and it would be uh, good to see that that investment that would happen would happen across the board and particularly in areas that's, that's needed. But, you know, the bigger issue that we have here, and I was in the Parliament a month ago and, and, and addressed the European Parliament, this is essentially about our peace process. And if, we, if these talks fail and we have a hard border, we, and, and we know this because we live in these communities, this is going to be an absolute disaster for us. Mm. And that's why tonight's important. It's for people to come out to say to their, to their politicians, l- nationally and internationally, that we need a deal, that we need to get this resolved. We can't continue to go on with this uncertainty and the possibility of a, of a no-deal Brexit. If these talks succeed, it's quite possibly disastrous for our peace process as well, Damien. As we've been hearing, uh, the unionist reaction could be bombs in Limerick. Well, I read that at the weekend with horror. Um, who in their right mind would, 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 would come up with such an analogy? We have the Good Friday Agreement. It's there since 1998. There is no constitutional threat here to the position of, of, of the North of Ireland or Northern Ireland within the UK unless it's decided by a majority of the people. I think people are, are being sensationalist about this. This whole issue of Brexit never should have been about identity in the first place. It's about economics. Mm. It's about jobs. And, and that's where... The and economic is. unity is unity from a unionist point of view. And uh, the union is going in the wrong direction. And hardline unionists are now reported to be saying that they regret supporting the Good Friday Agreement. Well, you know, I don't see anything wrong with peace. We lived in an incredibly divided and a, an incredibly difficult society. 
And when you watch some of the BBC stuff that has been on in the last few weeks, the horrors that people have, that live with throughout the Troubles, we have had a fantastic peace for the last 20 years. And nobody should be saying anything that's going to risk that peace or do anything to damage it. So those people need to be rejected, and they need to be rejected by people from within their own community, i.e. people in political unionism. Um, e- economics, we live on an economic island. That's just the reality of economics. And what happened from the Good Friday Agreement signed... We had huge prosperity on the island of Ireland. Now, we had a crash. But what happened in that prosperity was that companies in the south bought over companies in the north. And and all of the businesses on the island of Ireland, a lot of them became interlinked and interchained. And we, we developed an all-island economy. That was one of the elements uh, that was one part of the Good Friday Agreement. Now, we can't go back from that. And that's what this agreement that's on the table is about. It's, it's protecting the all-island economy. It's about protecting our peace. And who, can, in their right mind, can argue against that? Now, uh, we've heard from some uh, some people who've uh, been named, and certainly uh, a lot of it uh, attributed to, to both uh, the UDA and to the UVF. But the role of the DUP undoubtedly is uh, very important in all of this. And it seems uh, that Northern Ireland is going to be asked to leave Europe uh, in a way different than the rest of the United Kingdom, and whether that requires a, a check or something else to appease uh, the opposition from uh, the DUP, their support is paramount, isn't it? Well, their support is paramount, but wh- what other choice is there? You know, this is either a deal or it's no deal. Well, and, and, but no, but hold on. If a general election is the other choice. Well, well, you see, and, and and this is where you get into a lot of hyperbole. We have to deal with the reality of what's on the table today. And we have heard, even from one sector, the agriculture sector in the north, and I know the south would be badly mm. impacted, but in the north alone there are 3,000 dairy farmers. All of them will go out of business in a no-deal break. They well, they won't have cows by the looks of it. Yes. And so, look, mm. there are 3,000 dairy farms. There probably are 25,000 jobs riding on that one sector. Mm. So, you know, people can talk this nonsense about, about whether they think they're going to be feel separate from the rest of the UK. They decided to leave the UK. We decide, in the North decided to remain. And this that's on the table is a compromise. Because people in border communities compromised to support the backstop. It's not ideal for us by any stretch of the imagination. But that's what this place is about. That's what the Good Friday Agreement was about. It's about compromise. You met with uh, the German ambassador recently following uh, the call between Mr Johnson and uh, Chancellor Merkel. Uh, was he able to confirm to you what was said between the two premiers? No, they didn't. That conversation wasn't repeated to us, but it was made clear, and there's been a long engagement um, with the Germans uh, and, and their own business and their own sectoral interests in Germany. And it was very clear, and it was very, very heartening to hear that the Germans, across their economic, uh, whether it be their, the equivalent of their IBAC or whatever aspects of their economy it is, that they're not concerned about a no-deal Brexit in the long term, that their number one concern is that there's peace on the island of Ireland. And they, they, this, is, this was communicated through to us by the German ambassador from the business representatives that she had met over the last 18 months. And it's wonderful to hear that solidarity. Mm. Now, Germans come to the table around Brexit with a certain specific uh, knowledge of what happened in their own country. Angela Merkel grew up in East Germany, didn't it wasn't able to uh, meet her own grandmother until she was 12. The Irish ambassador at the moment, she grew up in, in, in East Germany. 
So there's wonderful solidarity there. And I think that phone call that Boris had with Angela Merkel, no question he knew at that point that he had nowhere to go, that he had to do a deal. Europe has been very solid and America has been very solid. We have met with uh, Speaker Pelosi and mm-hmm. Representative Richard Neal, who's now the chair of the Ways and Means Committee. And they have been very explicit that there will be no deal with the UK on trade if Ireland is damaged on Brexit. So I think that has brought Boris Johnson to the place where he is now. Okay, well, the summit gets underway tomorrow. Uh, The leaders will be meeting in Brussels. Uh, You're making your way to Brussels, Damien. Uh, Will you uh, be coming back (coughs) on an open ticket? Because it's not sure when this summit will actually conclude. Uh, It's it's set to conclude on Friday. But there is uh, the prospect of them being back at it again next week. Yeah, it looks as if um, if they don't... The legal text of this is where this has been really... uh, It's going to be really could get bogged down. We have uh, a few people going out tomorrow morning. They're back on Friday evening. We're meeting uh, the coordinator of the Brexit Steering Group, Giver Hofstad, at 4 o'clock on Thursday. That's going to be an incredibly important meeting because he and the, and the people on that Brexit Steering Group are the people who will have to rubber stamp this because the EU Parliament will have to approve any deal. And they have always been fastidious in looking at safeguarding Ireland and, and making sure that whatever deal is put in place is put in place with legal text. And we will also be lobbying other MEPs, and we'll be there outside the Commission building, engaging with ambassadors and other people attending those talks to make sure that we can keep the profile of Ireland, and in particular, border communities, at the centre of these negotiations. Okay, well, undoubtedly we'll be all be watching it uh, throughout uh, the day or the coming days, as uh, the case may be. But we we'll leave it there for the moment. Damien, thank you indeed for joining us. We'll just remind people uh, that at 8 o'clock this evening they're asked to go to uh, their local border crossing if uh, they wish uh, to support uh, your campaign. Uh, that's uh, where borders uh, communities against Brexit uh, will be meeting at uh, many different uh, locations uh, across uh, the country this evening. Damien yeah, McGinnis. The details, yep. the details mm-hmm. of that, Michael, are mm-hmm. on our yeah. Facebook page. People sure. can log on there and see where their local, their local point is. And we please people come along because this is important that we show that we're concerned about this. And this deal is not done yet and we have to keep up political pressure. Many thanks for joining us uh, this morning. Damien McGinnity, spokesperson with Border Communities Against Brexit. Michael Michael Reed on LMFM. If a council house uh, becomes vacant in County Loud, it takes more than 16 weeks before somebody is rehoused, and it's 16.42 weeks, in fact. Uh, That time increases to over 25 weeks, 25.59 weeks in County Meath. This is according to a 100-page report from the National Oversight and Audit Commission, which looks at the performance of 31 local authorities under 37 different performance indicators. We'll hear about uh, the performance of our our local councils now with Michael McCarthy, who's uh, the chairman of NOAC, the National Oversight and Audit Commission. Good morning to you, Michael, and uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, They're very long periods of time that houses are are lying vacant, uh, but uh, they're somewhat worse in other parts of uh, the country. Readers of the Irish Examiner will see today that it takes 49 weeks to rehouse somebody in Cork City. Yeah, so you can see from the report, Mike, that the you know the the, the data collected from uh, the various uh, local authorities, in conjunction with validating that information with the local government management agency, we produced a report that highlights performance 
across the various local authorities in relation to different sectors. Now, I suppose to begin with, the National Oversight Audit Commission was established under uh, statute in 2014. And our focus as, as a commission is to look at the scrutiny, to provide independent scrutiny of local government performance. Now, in relation to the two big local authorities in your own area, Mead and Loud, you can see that they're similar in some, some areas and not similar in others. Now, there are some local authorities, for example, in the, housing, in the whole housing sphere, that can vary differently, differently and, and greatly in some respects in terms of the letting time to rehouse vacant properties. And this is obviously a significant issue for some local authorities. And as you quite rightly point out, in, in relation to those who have more social houses, they have about 3,800 social houses. Their uh, average rehousing uh, period of time is just over 16 weeks. When compared to Mead, it's almost 26 weeks. So we use the report, Michael, as a basis to encourage better performance by local authorities. So what I mean by that is this. You may get, and there are other local authorities, who have a shorter letting period. And we hope that by virtue of publishing this report and sending it to the likes of me, the Loud County Council, that those local authorities would look at other areas where the performance is stronger and hopefully up their own ante, their own game in that regard. Uh, engage themselves off each other, in other words. Absolutely. What we do with the report is we send it out to all the local authorities and all of these local authorities, me, the Louds included, they have what they call an audit committee. And that is a very strong you know, stakeholder from the point of view of the commission. So it's up to the elected membership in both areas and their executive and their chief executives to look at the data and say, well, why did we behave? You know, why did we perform, for example, lower than whatever the average might be in relation to you know, green flag status, environment, mm. housing or fire services? And use that as an indicator that, you know, that increases... Uh, the focus by that local authority in relation to uh, you know better performance in that particular sphere, and as you say, uh, some of uh, the results are, are, are similar. Some aren't. Uh, the fire service response uh, is very different uh, and a much quicker response. It would seem in County Louth uh, to an emergency call to the fire services than would be the case in County Meath. That's right, and so particularly from the aspect of County County Louth. Um, it's, it's quite encouraging and it, it performs kind of well in the overall scheme of things. And then you say to yourself, why is it so different or why is it nominally different, for example, in a local authority, you know, abutting that particular boundary? Uh, but then you look at, for example, you know, the green flag status in County Mead um, is actually, you know, very, you know, rates very well, about 45%. The national average being about 51 So there are other areas of activity where some local authorities trump their neighbouring local authorities. Okay, and uh, the green flag uh, status uh, to do uh, with uh, our our beaches and so on. Uh, When it comes uh, to the environment and litter, again, there's uh, differences between the two counties. There are, and there's a huge focus, Michael, as you're you're well aware. Uh, Nowadays, there's a younger generation behind a massive climate uh, climate movement. Uh, You could see the results of the European and local elections. There was what they call a green wave. National government um, launched their climate action plan, and a lot of the local authorities are looking at climate action plans themselves individually. And from that you know, particular sector, uh, the local authorities play a very kind of important role in terms of green flag. I mean, they send you know, officials out to, to, to the various schools, they encourage them to get involved, they educate them, they support them. So it's a very, very strong area of activity for local government. And one that, I, you know, on the face of it, mightn't seem very obvious because we traditionally associate you know, the activity of housing and roads uh, with local authorities. And we probably pay less attention to the other areas but but it, it is encouraging to see results that are in and around the national average and some local authorities 
performing better than others. Okay, and it would seem that in County Meath, people use uh, their libraries for more frequently than they do in Louth. They do. It's quite interesting, for example, in County Meath with, with the use of the public libraries. They have an average of about 3.16 visits per head of population. And in 2018, they issued about 415,000 items. Um, and that's quite encouraging because if you look at, you know, the, the focus, for example, in relation to that, that type of cultural activity, uh, it's very, very encouraging. And it's good to see that kind of high scoring for a local authority like that. Now, again, they can vary. And sometimes when you're comparing different local authorities, Michael, mm. we have to bear in mind that sometimes they might have different topography and geography. and You know, the same kind of set of rules, for example, might apply in another area. But the, the public library usage in County Mead is very, very encouraging. All right. And uh, I suppose all of uh, the local authorities are, are looking at uh, technology and uh, the Internet. Uh, and it seems uh, as uh, though more people are availing of what has been offered to them by Meath County Council than would be the case in County Louth. That's right. You know, again, quite, quite, I mean, I find this kind of particularly um, interesting. I mean, if you go back not a long time ago, uh, depending on what age one is, of course, you know, you queued to tax your car in the local authority and you could be there for an hour and there's a queue and you hand over your documentation. And now we look at the figures from the National Oversight Audit Commission report and we find that in the case of Meath, their website, the total page views for the website of Meath County Council in 2018 was about 2.1 million. And that's absolutely massive. For the percentage, for example, of motor tax transactions dealt with online by Meath County Council was almost 85%. And that's, that's quite a, a staggering figure and quite successful in terms of how they've, um, you know, how the local authority interact on a social media basis with their, with their citizens. Mm. Uh, compared to 67%, uh, a little over that, or just under 68% in County Loud. But the process should be pretty much similar, should it not? It should do, but then there might be a different um, a different system. Like, for example, I know in one local authority um, in Watford, they encourage some people who come in to physically pay over the counter, they actually bring them aside and they use an online system there and then. Oh. So it, it's not like cut and dry that, you know, someone pulls out the iPad or the iPhone or, or the laptop and does that transaction at home. So some local authorities are very innovative in developing that practice where they're trying to encourage and educate people who physically have gone into their local authority to say, look, this is much quicker, it's much easier, you put out your card, you put in your pin, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So the mechanism by which they're encouraging people to engage on a transactional basis in social media will also vary from local authority to local authority. Okay, interesting comparisons. Uh, if uh, any of our local representatives want to look at uh, further car, uh, comparisons, uh, it's noac.ie, your website, uh, where the report can be read in full. Michael, thank you indeed for joining us here this thank morning. You, Michael. Michael McCarthy, Chairman of NOAC, the National Oversight and Audit Commission, brings our programme to its conclusion. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. 
When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.